chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. We'll be kicking off a series uh, this morning called No Other Gospel through the book of Galatians. And um, Galatians is a fascinating book. And uh, I'm only preaching the first five verses today, so, but I'm tempted to preach the whole book right now. This one's been brewing for a while. And listen, I think you all know my views on the Old Testament and how the gospel is on every page. But man, there's something about just seeing it front and center and with such passion and glory as we see it here in the book of Galatians. Thank you for being here today for our family reunion Sunday. And um, what a joy it is to get together as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of turbulent times. If you have your Bibles open there, Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, not through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. Deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God of our God and Father, in whom be the glory, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel, and we thank you for the fact that he and that glorious truth are the church's only foundation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know what you would call it. I mean, I guess you could call it a flaw. Some would call it a strength. Um, but I tend to obsess over things. And my wife's not in here. And I know what she would think. She would think it's a flaw, a deep flaw. Because once I get something on my mind, I've just got to figure it out. I can't just halfway do... I can halfway do some things, things that matter, but stuff like minutiae and random things, I get obsessed with. Thoughts, ideas, periods of history. Cooking is one of my things that I sometimes obsess over. Sometime over the pandemic years here, uh, starting last fall, I sort of um, got into making pizza, homemade pizza. Some of, some of you in the room have husbands who have bought small pizza ovens similar to mine after I bought mine. And for that, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry for encouraging the addiction via text at times. Here's the deal, though. I love to make homemade pizzas. I, I've got this oven. It's an uni oven, and it, it keep it on the back porch, and you can use wood and charcoal, and it can get up to like a thousand degrees which I, I love I just even if I wasn't making pizza it's just great to get something really hot you know to start a fire and create a thousand degree oven on your back porch 
But if you're going to use a special oven, if you're going to cook pizza at a really hot temperature, you can't just have any crust. I hope you understand this. If it's got sugar in it, it's going to burn. If it's got too much oil in it, it's going to burn. You can't just have any crust. But if you're going to have the right crust, you can't just use any flour. You can't just go get flour. What? You're making pizza here, you know? I've learned that to get the proper dough, you've got to have the right flour. If you want the dough to saturate with the water at the proper amount, if you want it to stretch appropriately as you get right, ready to launch the pizza into the oven, if you want the right texture, the right chew and crumb, as we say in the biz, to the, to the, to the crust as you eat the pizza, you've got to have the right flour. And I've learned that some of the great pizza makers of the world tend to use a certain kind of soft wheat flour that's milled a certain way. It's called Caputo Double Zero Pizza Flour. You can buy it on Amazon. (laughs) So I'm willing to go to some effort and just like a little of expense to buy 25 pounds of flour on Amazon because pizza just isn't pizza unless pizza has the right foundation. It's got to be built on the right thing. I mean, I can have all the perfect ingredients, perfect fresh mozzarella and San Marzano tomato sauce with just a splash of olive oil and a pinch of salt and just the right herbs. I can, I can put basil right off the back porch onto the pizza. I can have the pepperoni that perfectly cups up and chars. But if you bite into this delicious pizza and the crust is wrong, it's not crispy the way it needs to be. If, if the crust isn't right, it's not good pizza. It's hot ingredients. It's not what we want. No, to get the right foundation for a pizza, you need a good dough. And to get a good dough, you have to have the right flour. And to get a good foundation, you have to have the right flour. And I'm sure your pizza's fine, but I want mine to be perfect. Gotta have the right flour. You know, we can do all sorts of good things as a church. And we do. Glorious things. Things the world praises. We can love the poor. We can love each other. That's good. We can share all sorts of news, you know. We can try to be careful and be a good model for the community and how to gather safely during this season of life. It's great. We can give sacrificially. We can do all sorts of things. We can have first-class facilities. We can make sure that we are practicing, goodness, I hope we are, wonderful hospitality. All good things. Wonderful things. But if we don't have the right foundation, we're not really a church. Maybe we're a gathering. Maybe we're a club. Maybe we're really good friends. But without the right foundation, we are not a church. This church, since 1855, and until the moment when these bricks are ground to dust by time, or burned up with fire when the Lord Jesus returns. This church has one foundation. Jesus Christ and His gospel. I promise you, that's it. The day it's not that, the day I stand here and I preach something besides Jesus and Him crucified is the day that I get here and I go and I sell cars on Sand Mountain until I die. 
Not that there's anything wrong with that. That's why I'm here. That's why we're here. There's no other reason to be here. This is it. We know Him, we love Him, and we make Him known, and we order our church around the fact that we know Jesus, we are built on Jesus through the gospel, through the good news of what He's done. I want to show you from this introduction three truths that I think will show you how the gospel is foundational for our life as a church. Three truths are going to show us how the gospel is what animates all that we do. Our church is built on Jesus through his gospel. And I want to show you the way these truths about Jesus animate us. How essential they are to you and your life and our life as a church. Here's the first. The gospel is the foundation of our view of God. The the, the gospel is the foundation of our view of God. What matters more in the world than what we believe about God? Oh, it matters so deeply. The Taliban believe in God. Everyone believes in God in some way. Some people believe there is no God. They have a negative view of God, but nonetheless, it impacts societies. It impacts everything. Our theology is essential. Christians understand God himself in terms of the gospel. And you know what we believe about God matters at church. Little kids start to pick up on the fact you learn about God at church. Yesterday afternoon, Whitney and I got out of the house for a minute. We're riding around, Gadsden a little bit. We saw saw Cantrell and Jared Lowe out in the street, riding around, playing with the babies, and pulled over, blocking the street. Sorry if you're behind us and... Uh, Jared said, hey, let's pull up here. So Catherine's standing there and their little girl, Catherine, sweet, precious girl. And uh, we, get, we get up and then Cantrell comes up and says, you know, when you started pulling off, you know what Catherine said? She said, Mom, that was Jesus. <laughs> I said, Catherine, that's not true. And it's the best news you've heard all day. But even our youngest start to put it together, don't they? And they can't tease out all their theology, but they know that guy standing up there preaching, and we talk about Jesus all the time, and it's all something's happening there. And church, church is about Jesus. It's about God. We're forming our imaginations and our minds around what it means to worship our Creator. Do you see how important our theology is and how important it is to who we are as a church? You see, Christians have to understand God himself in terms of the gospel. This is the starting point. The gospel is our starting point as Christians. We don't start in Genesis 1-1 to know who God is. We get there eventually, don't get me wrong. All of the Old Testament is true and good, beautiful testimony. It's a dark room, as one commentator said, filled with treasures. The New Testament's the light that shows us all the treasures in the room. Jesus himself shows us 
who God is. We start with Jesus. If we start, as Luther alludes to in his commentary on Galatians, if we start just thinking about the grandeur and the majesty and the glory and the greatness of God and our sinful hearts and who we are, we get overwhelmed. We get mashed down. We get overwhelmed by who God is. But if we start with Jesus, if we start with Jesus, the one who came and was broken for us, and we have categories to understand the greatness and the grandeur and the glory of God. God, it turns out, is love. Always has been, always will be. Now, God's not a squish. He's not light on sin. But we see the fact that God takes sin seriously. He doesn't treat it like a problem that's exclusively ours. In fact, the only person in the cosmos who has no problem with sin whatsoever is Him. And He's the only person that's got the most skin in the game about sin. Literal. Flesh. Do you see two things that Paul says? In verse 1, Paul's talking about his apostleship. We won't talk much about that today. There'll be plenty of time to talk about Paul's apostleship as we move through this book. But Paul makes it clear he's an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. What a high view of Jesus Paul had. Seeing them both as co-equal persons in the triune God. Then in verse 3, he offers grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only through the gospel that we get grace or peace. But see what Paul's saying? God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Paul, as he is introducing this letter to the Galatians, he's reminding them that it is through Jesus that they met God in the first place. And to know God more and to grow closer to God and to become more like God, they always have to keep Jesus at the fore. I think so many of the spiritual problems we have in the church today stem from a boredom with the gospel. They stem from a boredom with the gospel. We want to go on to the deeper things. Give me the meat. Give me something beyond this. I want to go deeper, deeper. But so often we're trying to go deeper outside the gospel. But I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, there's plenty of depth for you in the gospel. You won't get to the bottom. You try it, you try it. I challenge you, you go deeper than you can go in the gospel I promise you, when you feel like you've hit bottom, Christ is deeper still. There's more there. But we get bored with the gospel, and we go searching out strange fires. We get sick of doing things the way God's prescribed, and we start looking for things, spirituality, outside of the gospel. I don't know if there's anything more dangerous, anything that leads you to play with fire, quite like spirituality, apart. From the gospel. You see, we start to commit heresy when we get bored with the gospel and start searching out things that aren't rooted in the gospel. It begins to malform our view of who God is. We start to look for the depth of God's love outside the gospel. We start look, looking for an experience of the Holy Spirit outside the gospel. We start looking for a, a, a morality, as the Galatians did, to be found outside the gospel. We get bored with glory our shame it's one thing for a child to get bored with their toys 
by three o'clock on Christmas Day. Oh, it's another thing altogether for a child of God to be bored with the beautiful, glorious good news of her Savior. To chase out after other things. You see, we weren't understanding God primarily in terms of Him being the lawgiver. Even though the Galatians are, as you'll see, are going to want to chase after the law. Our symbol isn't the Ten Commandments, it's the cross. We come to God knowing we're unable to save ourselves, knowing we're incapable of producing our own righteous, righteousness, knowing how desperate we are for Jesus. We come to God and we receive grace from a Father because we know Him through His Son. It's the beauty of the Gospel. We see God then through Jesus as one who gives grace and peace. He gives us what we don't deserve in grace. He gives us peace, not wrath. This is beautiful because don't you see the way we deserve the opposite? Our sin has made a mess of our lives. We deserve tumult, but God gives us peace. We've disobeyed a God who loves us. We deserve punishment and wrath, but through Jesus we receive grace. The gospel is the foundation of our view of God. But second of all, the gospel is the foundation of our salvation. The gospel is the foundation of our salvation. You see, it's one thing to talk about grace and peace, isn't it? I mean, it sounds great. Some of you might, like Paul, open up letters or close letters with grace and peace. I think it's a beautiful practice to think about what beautiful things grace and peace are. It's one thing to talk about it. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to feel it, isn't it? And it's one thing to know Jesus offers grace and peace. Every Pharisee can tell you that. Goodness gracious, every hardened sinner running from God into worldliness knows, well, Jesus gives me grace and peace. I shared the gospel with someone one time at a gas station. And uh, he said, don't worry, God will forgive me one day. That's his job. He squealed out. Parking lot. Grace and peace, right? I'll get it, don't worry. It's one thing to know. It's another thing to experience the grace of God through Jesus Christ. It's, it's another thing to experience that peace that comes from the gospel. And don't you, I know I do, I need that experience today. I need to know in my heart that God has given me grace and peace. Listen to what? Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins and to deliver us from the present evil age. This is how you know, this is how you experience the grace and peace of God. It's through the Gospel. It's through knowing personally the One who gave Himself for your sins and to deliver you from this present evil age. Have you stopped and thought about what a miracle it is that the purest creature on earth, I mean, no, in the cosmos, in heaven and on earth, the one creature, not creature, the one being who is perfectly pure, the Lord Jesus Christ, robed for eternity in the ineffable light, purity. 
around whom angels, whom if we saw them, would strike such awe and fear in our hearts and lives, we might be like the revelator John and fall down dead before them, feeling like we were dead, looking like we were dead before them because of the great glory and grandeur. And yet there are angels who possess such glory innate to themselves that nonetheless fly around God forever, singing out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is and was and is to come. He's so pure. He's so perfect. He's infinite in all of His perfections. And have you ever just considered the miracle, the glory, the wonder that that Son of God became flesh? Moi. Not just to prove that He could, not just to present to mankind the greatest theological question that his mind could ever ponder, how could God become man? Not just to show us what love is, even though he did that. He became flesh and he gave himself for your sins. You've seen things in your heart that I've never seen. And I've seen things in my heart that I would never tell you. I like my job. We're desperate, wicked sinners. We see sin all around us. We see the great challenges of the age all around us. And Jesus, the pure and holy Christ, gave Himself for me, for my sins. In fact, the Bible says, Paul says in 2 Corinthians... He became sin who knew no sin. Oh, Christ stood in your stead. He took what you deserved and He did it to deliver us from this present evil age. We were like a pig in the slop just enjoying the sin of this world. And yet from heaven He came and sought her. Cleaned us up. Delivered us. I'm so burdened. I'm so burdened, church. I'm so burdened by this world. I'm so burdened when I think about the world my kids are going to grow up in. I'm I'm so burdened over the sickness around us. I'm so burdened over so many things. Goodness gracious, you don't need me to remind you of all those things. To deliver us from this present evil age. I have overcome the world. Jesus said, by grace, if you believe that it's truly a gift, and through faith, if you truly trust Jesus, you can be saved from your sins, and you can be transferred from the withering, dying, damned kingdom of this world, and you can be transferred into the marvelous, glorious, light-filled, holy, righteous, eternal kingdom of our God and of His Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit. Do you realize what a miracle it is, church? The gospel is the foundation of our salvation. And finally, the gospel is the foundation of our hope. Paul's an apostle, he says in verse 1, through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Him from the dead. This is a picture of the resurrection of Jesus. Death didn't have the final word. 
Then he goes on to say, to whom, to the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, in verse 5, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is true. Who God raised from the dead, death doesn't have the final word. And here in this greeting to the letter to the churches in Galatia, Paul is reminding them of the glory of God. That if you were to take this age and the last and the next, however you want to define it, a hundred years, a thousand years, and you stack them up all in front of each other, our eyes are drawn up out of all these ages of sin, out of this present age. And we can look out into the future. We can see beyond COVID and Afghanistan. And we can see beyond hurricanes and earthquakes. And we can see beyond the troubles in our marriage. And we can see beyond the worries about our children. And we can see beyond the sin that so easily entangles our hearts. And we can see beyond the weakness we see when we look in the mirror in the morning and see the way our bodies are fading away. We can see beyond this present evil age and from age to age forever and ever from eternity to eternity these truths will stand forever and ever Jesus Christ is Lord forever and ever you are delivered from this age forever and ever God's glory is there forever forever our eyes are drawn out of this age and we see beyond trillion years from now when this building is dust the glory of God will have experienced no loss at all when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun We've no less days to sing His praise than when we first begun. This is us, guys. This is it. I know what you did this morning. You know, I freaked out about the iron this morning and you, you're trying to find where's the shirt we bought at this and you're trying to get the kids ready and you're trying to decide if you even want to go or not and you're thinking, man, I know they're going to have masks on or not masks on or you're thinking about this or you're... I understand. I get it. I do. But this is who we are. That's part of what we're doing right now. I, 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 we should. We live in this world. We have to. But these truths frame who we are as a church. They set us aright on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, to be a healthy church, we have to have the right foundation. We must see God and know God through the gospel according to Scripture. We must believe God and trust God for our salvation. Brothers and sisters, we must have our hope fixed on Jesus. If that's not our foundation... What's the point? If the foundation's not right, sure, we've got ingredients, but we're not a church. Not a church. I want to offer an invitation this morning to you. 
And it's an invitation to respond to this gospel. There's not a person in the room who's done responding to the gospel. Some of you may need to respond to it for the first time. You may just need to know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and today I want to trust Jesus. Oh, goodness, we would rejoice. The Bible says the angels in heaven would rejoice if you were to turn and put your faith in Jesus. I believe if you would turn from your sins in repentance, turn to God through faith in Jesus, you will be saved. When we're done praying in a moment, you do business with the Lord. But some of you may be Christians. You may say, I need to, I've gotten bored with the gospel. I just need to ask God to set my soul on fire for Him again. Not for stuff about Him, not for going deeper, not for proving that I know a bunch or whatever else, not for some mysticism, but for the gospel, for Jesus. You respond to Him. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. Part of the way we respond to the gospel is by joining with other like-minded believers in His church. I'd love to talk to you today about being a member here at First Baptist. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together.